0: previously on Reunion, Shark Attacks in Paradise. It created a real rift between people.
1: People were saying to anyone who was a surfer or had a blonde there publicly. People said, huh, sharks are gonna eat. You know, sharks only eat white guys.
0: There's something about a shark attack, just the very thought of one, I mean, that is so much more primally terrifying than any other animal attack. Like, consider the grizzly bear fantasy, or it's not really a fantasy, but you know what I mean. First of all, we're on land, right? So I'm definitely running away or climbing a tree or even grabbing a pointy stick. I'm not saying any of that would work, I'm just saying, that when I think about getting attacked by a grizzly or a lion or a tiger, I think about having agency. But when I think about getting attacked by a shark, it seems more like getting stripped naked and tied to the ground spread-eagled in a cage full of hyenas. Except it also has that crazy ambush quality. So maybe it's more like checking into your lovely, tropical hotel room you know, near the beach and locking the door behind you and opening the sliding glass doors onto the balcony and flopping down naked on the bed for a nap, only to have a freaking velociraptor suddenly just appear out of the ceiling in a psychotic frenzy and disembowel you and throw your guts all over the room while you're still conscious. And yet, we do not want a world without sharks. I do not want a world without sharks at all. I know in a rational kind of way that sharks are absolutely vital to the health of our planetary ecosystem. I mean, the one that keeps you and me alive. But I also just find them gorgeous and magical and transporting. But see, a surfer's chance of getting attacked by a shark in California has been calculated at about 1 in 17 million. That is a really really tiny number and the tininess of that number makes it an awful lot easier for me at least to be glad that great white sharks are out there and not to want anybody ever to kill one to make me any safer and also just to celebrate their sort of gigantic beauty and magnificence which i did recently with an italian marine biologist named sarah Andriotti at the university of stellenbosch in south africa I told Sarah about yet another friend of mine who was sitting on his surfboard when a great white surfaced next to him and stared at him with that big black eye.
2: Which is blue. Did you ever... No, you haven't no, seen No, no. But they say, they say it's black, but it's not black. It has a, a very blue pupil
3: Oh, that's interesting.
2: Inside. Yeah, They have blue eyes. No one noticed.
0: <laughs> I mean, you're so right. People do talk about the shark's eye as this dead cold lifeless murderous thing they
2: must watch them yeah they must watch closer
0: i'm dan duane and this is reunion shark attacks in paradise episode five bull sharks are a nightmare and so are we I saw a shark once swimming under my surfboard in crystal clear warm water on a remote cove in the Galapagos Islands. And I felt that wonderful sense of relief that we can all feel from discovering that the universe isn't all about us. In fact, it's not about us at all. And that contradiction between terror, dependency, and sublime awe raises an important question relative to the Reunion Island shark crisis. To wit, Once everybody on Reunion agreed that sharks were biting more people all of a sudden, and once it was clear that these shark-biting incidents were trending horrific, terrorizing families and wiping out the coastal tourist economy, I mean, businesses were just clearing out, going empty, surf schools closing, what was anybody supposed to do? Like, was it okay to kill a bunch more sharks? And would that even work? And was it right morally, ethically, environmentally? That question grabbed me because I'm not just into surfing. I am way into the whole nature aspect of being in the water. I have missed great waves because I was so distracted watching a squadron of prehistoric-looking pelicans surf the air cushion pushed in front of a swell. I once soared so fast up a wave face that I got launched into the air above, only to find a dolphin there with me, also in the air, having launched itself at the same time. And sure, I do spend a lot of time thinking about great white sharks, which are pretty common here in California. I've never actually seen a great white myself, but three buddies of mine have, including one at Mavericks, the famous big wave spot south of San Francisco where this friend of mine was sitting on his 10-foot-long big wave board when a huge great white shark surfaced and circled him. And as it was circling him, that animal was so big and displaced so much water that it made my friend, sitting up on that giant board, rotate 360 degrees. I personally did drive down to a small wave break recently, also near San Francisco, And I was pulling on my wetsuit in the parking lot when a guy I recognized in his wetsuit with his board dripping wet, came walking back from the beach and he looks at me getting ready and he goes, I just saw a shark. And I was like, really? And he goes, "Uh uh-huh. And I was like, how long? And he goes, eight feet, 10 feet. It was like right in the wave in front of me. So I asked him, you know, is that why you got out of the water? He said, "Uh uh-huh. And then a moment later, Three other surfers come walking up the same path, right? Also dripping wet in their wetsuits, carrying their surfboards. And they're all kind of smiling and laughing and chattering. And I kind of said, did you guys see the shark? And they all said very nervously, yup, we sure did. It was huge. It was swimming right next to us. And yet you want to know something weird? I walked over to where I could see the water and there were dozens of surfers still out there. And you want to know something even weirder? I joined them. Yeah, that's right. I grabbed my surfboard and paddled out. And I'm not cavalier about risk. I've always been the guy who does dangerous sports very, very carefully. Like even as a kid skateboarding down hills, I was that dork who always stopped at stop signs. Plus, of course, I am up to my eyeballs in the most gruesome details of shark attacks on Reunion Island. So Sarah Andriotti and her love for sharks was a great corrective for me. What do you love about sharks?
2: What is there not to love about sharks? (laughs) (laughs) They are such incredible animals. They have millions of years of evolution on their shoulders, which we don't have. And a lot of people tends to look at them as prehistorical animals. Um, But I would like to challenge this perspective and think about these animals as, as a species that had a lot more years of evolution compared to, to humans. They have more senses than we do. We only have five, they've got seven. Did you know that?
0: Sarah and I kicked around a bunch of other cool sharky factoids, like how certain species are the world's only known intrauterine cannibals. It's kind of a crazy deal, where the pregnant female shark hatches a bunch of live young inside a sack in her body, And then those little baby sharks survive by fighting it out and eating each other in there until the fittest one or two slip out of the birth canal into the ocean. But now, another thing I've always really liked knowing about great white sharks is that they're really not hunting me. Great whites are mostly hunting seals and sea lions.
2: We are not part of the food chain in the first place. So when accident happened is most of the time because we are misidentified for a prey. If they can see us very well and the visibility is good, we don't look like anything they are used to eat in the first place. And unless we act like a prey, like if you run away from a dog or you launch a little ball to a cat, predators tends to immobilize what is running away from them. So unless with your body language, you are going to tell that predator that you might be a prey. They have no reason to come and bite you.
0: That's what people meant earlier in the reunion crisis when they were saying that shark attacks were mostly about prey confusion. In other words, that a shark just confused a person for something else. So we shouldn't be mad at the shark or try to kill the shark. But see, remember that one in 17 million figure about my chance of getting bit in California? Well, a surfer scientist guy on Reunion, very legit character, told me that he had calculated a surfer's chance of getting bitten there during the height of the crisis at 1 in 100 every single time a surfer got in the water. And that seems partly due to the fact that Reunion was not dealing with great white sharks.
1: Welcome to True Spies.
0: Reunion has a fair number of tiger sharks, which do their share of people biting worldwide. But what Reunion really has a problem with is bull sharks, or as the French call that same species, les bulldogs, venerated in shark freak out culture as the sort of alternative boogeyman to the great white, almost like a meme, you know, wow, everybody thinks great whites are the big baddies, but really it's their punk little brothers, the bull sharks. I mean, bull sharks are even in Grand Theft Auto courtesy of Brucey Kibbutz, the sketchy criminal bodybuilder character. Don't hang up! This is Brucey Kibbutz. Yeah, I'm kind of a big deal, and uh, you can be too with my own patented bull shark testosterone. I managed the whole process from, like, milking to delivery. So just hit me up, and I'll drop it off, all right? And you will, you will be almost unstoppable. Apex shit! I'm serious! Call the B-Unit! The more I learned about bull sharks, in fact the better I felt about Great Whites. Like, for starters, bull sharks will eat almost anything. They'll eat fish, other sharks, other bull sharks, birds, seals, sea turtles, random land animals that just happen to fall in the water. They've been observed stalking chickens who are just (laughs) clucking around on a beach where the shark sort of swims back and forth in the shallows, waiting to pounce. And they'll go into waters that other sharks won't, like murky, dirty freshwater which is why they're known in South Africa as Zambezi sharks because they've attacked children wading in the Zambezi River or in Nicaragua as Lake Nicaragua sharks. Same reason. Or down on the Gold Coast of Australia where public safety authorities warn people to this day that swimming in nearshore canals and lagoons, muddy, murky, brackish, fresh salt water, is actually way more dangerous than open ocean beaches. I mean, bull sharks have literally been found in the Mississippi River as far north as, wait for it, Illinois. So as far as I can tell, that whole prey confusion concept, I mean, I just don't see how it really applies to a purely opportunistic predator that will gladly eat pretty much any organic animal tissue, aquatic or terrestrial, living or dead. And yet, When I asked Sarah Andriotti what came to mind for her when she thought about bull sharks, this is what she said.
2: Oh, they're so cute. (laughs) Because they were just very calmly swimming around. And of course, I've been interacting with them as a diver, not as a surfer or a swimmer that don't see them coming. They saw me. I saw them. The visibility was good. And they were just uh, minding their own business but i won't call any species of sharks terrifying for humans if i was a fish fair enough they're terrifying but i'm not a fish you know why should we fear a predator that is not even in our food chain
0: but it but still the great the attacks by great whites tend to be just this one big bang of a bite and and if you at least this is my sense of it in California. There's just this one big kabam. And so if you survive that initial bang, um, you know, maybe you need two or 300 stitches, but, you know, maybe you're going to be okay. <laughs> if, they, if he didn't bite you in half the first time, you'll probably be okay.
2: Because they're more of a fussy eater. A, a bull shark will probably come back.
0: But that's the... With the bull shark attacks, there seem to be, at least in some of the reunion stories... I mean, it's like the bull shark comes in and tears off an arm, then it comes back and tears off a leg, and then it comes back for another arm. But is that a function of its being more opportunistic? We'll just keep taking bites and see what we get.
2: it, It would be, yes. Yes, that's the reason.
0: Bull shark attacks on Reunion also have a curiously high fatality rate. Like in Florida, where there are plenty of bull sharks, there were 28 shark attacks in 2011 alone and not a single fatality. At one point on reunion, your chance of dying if you got attacked was about 50%. Yet another thing that's really pretty different about bull sharks is that there's a well-established history of bull shark attack epidemics around the world. Not a lot, but bull shark infestations are kind of a thing. Like in New Jersey in 1916, in the events that inspired Jaws. It started on Saturday, July 1st, 1916, 28-year-old guy from Philly goes for a dip with a dog, gets bit by something underwater that leaves his left thigh completely stripped of all flesh. Legs still attached, in other words. You know, lower leg, foot, calf, all of that. Totally fine, unharmed. But femur, devoid of meat. I mean, that is a bull shark attack, at least based on everything I've seen. I've never heard of a white shark doing that, and I have seen photos of that exact wound from a bull shark. And over the next couple of weeks, there were three more similar attacks so gruesome that it produced the first full-blown American shark panic. Tourism cratered. Jersey Shore towns (laughs) built steel nets to keep sharks away. They even tried dropping dynamite in the water to kill sharks. President Woodrow Wilson held a cabinet meeting. A shark was finally caught with, and I quote, two-thirds of a milk crate's worth of human flesh and bones in its belly. And that shark was a great white, by the way, which is probably why Jaws is all about a great white. It's sort of a mashup, as far as I can tell, of like bull shark horror with great white majesty. But again, bull sharks. Brazilian island of Recife, 1992 to 2006, 47 incidents, 17 fatalities. I saw forensic photos of these victims. Jean-Francois Nativel showed them to me. And I will spare you the details. But I'm telling you, these are the most nauseating things I have ever seen. Straight out of a serial killer file at the FBI. But the bull shark outbreak with the most relevance to Reunion, the one that Reunion authorities really looked at, happened in South Africa in the 1950s. It's known as Black December. Between mid-December 1957, And early April, 1958, on the warm water coast of KwaZulu-Natal province, a big resort destination for people from Johannesburg, in the space of three and a half months, nine attacks, six fatalities.
1: And this was in the area of Margate, which is a very popular coastal holiday resort about 100 miles south of Durban. December and January are the peak holiday seasons because it's our summer then. And apparently, the local tourists packed up and left the coast in droves.
0: That was Jeremy Cliff, formerly of the KwaZulu-Natal Shark Board, and one of the world's leading experts on shark attack mitigation. Cliff says that bull shark attack was so terrifying to people that authorities tried doing the same thing that had been tried unsuccessfully in New Jersey. Exclusion nets to keep sharks out of swimming areas. And... Just like that dropping of dynamite in New Jersey, the South African Navy tried exploding depth charges meant for blowing up submarines. And this is kind of a weird side note, but it totally backfired because the way depth charges work is they create this sudden increase in underwater air pressure with a shockwave, right? When it detonates. That shockwave causes the air inside a submarine to expand and burst the hull of the submarine. Well, it turns out sharks don't actually have any air sacs inside themselves to expand. (laughs) That's why they have to keep swimming all the time. But pretty much all other fish do. So what the depth charges really did was just kill (laughs) everything but the sharks. And And then the sharks just had this crazy feast, right? Because the water was just full of food that wasn't trying to swim away from them. Anyway, none of this worked to reduce shark attacks. And so this is where the original conundrum comes back in. What is okay to do when something is this primally terrifying?
1: So they looked across to Sydney and Australia. Sydney had introduced shark nets in 1937 to protect their beaches. And these nets were deployed off the beaches and they caught dangerous sharks and they reduced the incidents of shark attack and in fact Durban's record is so good that in the what's it now 60 68 years since nets were first installed they haven't had a serious shark attack you know in those days people weren't too worried about what other animals might be caught yeah. and that's one of the big problems with shark nets is they do have a high bycatch yeah. they catch dolphins they catch turtles they catch rays mm and they catch several shark species which pose very little threat to to human safety. But no one was really worried about that in, in those days.
0: In the 1970s, John Todd burst onto the evangelical scene with a shocking tale. He claimed to be a former witch, involved in a then unheard of secret organization called the Illuminati, and urged Christians to prepare for a violent world takeover.
3: First of all, the number one weapon in everybody's home should be a 12-gauge pump shotgun.
0: Hear the amazing story of one of the originators of the modern-day conspiracy theory. From Magnificent Noise and Sony Music Entertainment, this is Cover Up, The Conspiracy Tapes. The South Africans did eventually develop something closer to that sharpshooter image, those so-called drum lines, the big baited hooks we've heard about, anchored to the ocean floor, and only really attractive to huge predators like sharks. And according to the Kwazulu-Natal Shark Board, this stuff has also worked. In the 70 plus years since they started netting and drumlining, they've had only two fatal attacks. Similar agencies in Australia tell the same story. Hideous outbreaks of shark attacks, followed by netting and drumlining programs, followed by no more shark attacks. And numbers-wise, it seems pretty reasonable. To this day, the total number of sharks killed by risk mitigation programs everywhere on the planet every year is about 2,500. And if that sounds like a lot of sharks, consider that cutting the annual shark fin trade by a single percentage point would save the lives of 700,000 sharks a year. Plus, I called up a buddy in wildlife conservation and ran the Reunion Island question past him. Like, Hey, what's your take on the environmental ethics of killing bull sharks to protect people on reunion? He was like, huh, well, let's look up bull sharks on the IUCN red list of threatened species. Okay, there they are. Yeah, bull sharks are listed as near-threatened. Basically, the list places species on a spectrum from extinct to least concerned. Near-threatened is over on the doing okay side of that spectrum. And to be fair, they have been upgraded recently to threatened And then he goes, look, first, you got to understand, I don't personally give a shit about individual animals. I'm not even bothered by shark finning. I mean, if you're going to kill a shark, I don't really care what you do with it. I just care about biodiversity and the survival of species. And to be honest, this is my buddy still talking to me, right? He's saying, Dan, I could give you $100 million and tell you, go kill every bull shark on Earth. There is no way you could do it. Because these things are everywhere. They will eat anything. And global warming is probably just going to expand their habitat. But here's where it gets complicated. The biggest proper peer-reviewed scientific study of a shark culling program was done in Hawaii, where the federal government killed something like 5,000 sharks over 20 years between the late 50s and the 70s. And this study found that all that shark killing actually had zero effect on the rate of shark attack. None, 5,000 dead sharks, hundreds of thousands of dollars spent, nada. And sure, that's probably because they were dealing with tiger sharks, not bull sharks, but it's still the only gold standard study of the issue. Plus the optics of killing sharks just ain't what it used to be. It's worse, way worse.
2: So when someone can say, "Ah, why must we be the scapegoat for activists?" It's like you are one piece of a larger puzzle, and you need to be addressed, same as all the others. You're not more or less important in the great scheme of things. As humans, we don't like something we destroy it. This is not sustainable. Um, Ecologists have been screaming and shouting since 1960, 1970 that the way we are exploiting this planet is not sustainable. And make no mistake, they are saying is not sustainable for humans. It's mind-blowing, these animals are getting extinct. So I understand that is not the biggest threat. But on the other hand, I believe that the longer we keep on playing ping-pong about what the bigger threat is none of the threat is going to be addressed. Because now I go to Fisher and I say, you are overfishing the shark's food. And they say, no, the bycatch is the largest problem. Then I run to the people that have the bycatch and say, you must put a camera on your boat because bycatch is an issue. And they go, no man, poachings are poaching the sharks out of the water, you must have police there. And then you go, if the more we keep on arguing of which one is the soft target, which one is the big target, we are not solving any of these problems.
0: Coming up next on Reunion, Shark Attacks in Paradise. and sea shepherd start their first letter after Matthew Schiller, they, they start to, to shame me on uh, the social media, on uh, internet. And they said, yes, it's my fault because I said to everybody it's dangerous and for sea shepherd sharks are not dangerous. If you lose the legs or your, your son, it's normal. It's not dangerous, it's a, it's a God uh, gift, you see? Union Shark Attacks in Paradise is a production of Hyper Object Industries, Little Everywhere, and Sony Music Entertainment. It's written, reported, and hosted by me, Dan Duane. Executive produced by Adam McKay, Claire Slaughter, Harry Nelson, Dan Gallucci, and Jane Marie. Produced and engineered by Joy Sanford, Mike Richter, Dan Gallucci, and Jane Marie, with help from Zaley Mahone. Edited by Dan Gallucci and Jane Marie. All final mixes by Mike Richter. Reunion, Shark Attacks in Paradise was interpreted by James Christie and Pauline Chardin. Special thanks to all of our voice actors, Fred Giel, Sandrine Ristello, Julio Mendy, and Marley Otto, and to the many people on Reunion Island that helped make all of this possible.